Good morning or afternoon, or maybe it's even the middle of the night. But wherever and whenever you are joining us, you are more than welcome. And maybe you could even let us know where you are in the comments, just for fun. Before we start our worship today, I would like us to take a moment to still ourselves to really allow ourselves to be here and now, present with God and with each other. So let us just take a moment in silence, listening to nature at its finest and center ourselves in the presence of God. And now let us come before God to worship him. Let us bring not what is easy, but what is difficult. May we lay it here in the presence of God, who can hold it for us. May we ask for redemption, for renewal, for resurrection and go from here redeemed, hope-filled, and alive to love. So let us come now and worship God.
living, loving God. We come before you with gratitude in our hearts and praise on our lips, offering you our worship and our whole selves. God of grace and mercy, we take time to be still in this place. We reflect on the times when we have not relied on your words or wisdom, when we have not shown any concern or compassion when we should have done so, when we have not loved our neighbour as we loved ourselves, when we have remained silent when we should have spoken up and spoken when we should have kept silent. God, as we prepare to dwell in your presence and hear you through the word of Scripture, we ask that you open our eyes to see and know you are here among us and that you open our souls to recognise your voice. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This lesson is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The passage is entitled, Order in the Church. This is what I mean, my brothers. When you meet for worship, one person has a hymn, another a teaching, another a revelation from God, another a message in strange tongues, and still another the explanation of what is said. Everything must be of help to the church. If someone is going to speak in strange tongues, two or three at the most should speak, one after the other, and someone else must explain what is being said. But if no one is there who can explain, then the one who speaks in strange tongues must be quiet and speak only to himself and to God. Two or three who are given God's message should speak, while the others are to judge what they say. But if someone sitting in the meeting receives a message from God, the one who is speaking should stop. All of you may proclaim God's message one by one, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. The gift of proclaiming God's message should be under the speaker's control, because God does not want us to be in disorder, but in harmony and peace. As in all the churches of God's people, the women should keep quiet in the meetings. They are not allowed to speak. As the Jewish law says, they must not be in charge. If they want to find out about something, they should ask their husbands at home. It's a disgraceful thing for a woman to speak in church. Or could it be that the word of God came from you? Or are you the only ones to whom it came? If anyone supposes he's God's messenger or has a spiritual gift, he must realise that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if he does not pay attention to this, pay no attention to him. So then, my brothers, set your heart on proclaiming God's message, but do not forbid the speaking in strange tongues. Everything must be done in a proper and orderly way. Amen. Yes, I am recording from my car just now. It's only so I can get signal to send it. And I'm sorry for the mess. 
Before I start to discuss today's passage, which yes, I will be doing, even though it clearly states that as a woman, I should not speak, but must be in submission. I would like to share a poem with you, written by Donna Ashworth. Watch the words. Watch the words that tumble out of your mouth. They can be vicious little things. They can pierce through someone's barricade and straight into their heart. A casually spoken sentence can bury its way into the flesh and be carried around for decades, stinging each time it's pressed, shaping self-esteem. Watch the words. Watch the words that trip off your fingers. They cannot truly be erased. They can wing their way through the ether into someone's phone and into history. A moment of angry texting can come back to haunt time and time again, reopening a wound. Watch the words. Watch your words in moments of anger, in moments of fear, in moments of envy. Let them filter through your throat and ask three questions at the gate. Do I mean it? Is it true? Will it hurt? Watch your words. They can easily break down walls and build bridges, but they can just as easily break a beautiful spirit. Why am I sharing this poem with you, you may ask? Well, it's because the reading, the words we heard this morning, have been used as weapons against women for centuries. Despite all the evidence in the New Testament of women speaking, prophesying and leading the church, people have pointed to these verses to silence women and say that they cannot preach and teach. But have they really been right to do so? Clearly, before we start to look at this passage, I must state the obvious, that I do not believe this view to be completely accurate. Because if I did, you would be listening to someone else today. Except Donald's on holiday, so. Anyway, today's passage from 1 Corinthians 14 is one of these interesting passages in the Bible that has caused much anger, confusion, upset and bitterness within the faith. And not without reason, because as already noted, if I was to be following it to the letter today, it would mean that I could not be here online, sharing God's word with you. And neither could Maris or Lynn, Gillian, Jean or Ella or any of the other women you hear on here week by week. And maybe after listening to me today, some of you believe that this should still be true, possibly even more strongly than when you first logged on. But I hope not. In truth, however, this passage, like so many in the Bible, is not as straightforward as it seems but rather it invites us to explore the importance of discernment, knowledge and understanding as we engage and even wrestle with the scriptures. And in doing so, hopefully, we can clearly see that this passage and many others 
reveal to us that the Bible is not a rule book to be blindly followed, one that has obvious signposts and is easily understood. Although it is true that straightforward rules such as the teachings of the Ten Commandments can be found within its pages, but rather the Bible is a guide to living a life rooted in God's wisdom and love. A guide that must be studied, unpacked and viewed through a special lens. Through the wisdom granted to us by the Holy Spirit. Not an easy task, I know. But one that we are clearly called to do when reading the scriptures. And I don't just mean these verses today, but all scriptures. But how do we do that? How do we allow the Spirit to guide us? Well, first we have to try to understand the biblical context, the background to why these words were first written. And just as Paul spoke to the Corinthians in a way that resonated with their culture, we must seek to understand the culture and historical context of these scriptures. This, is a, this allows us to extract timeless truths while recognising the nuances of the original audience. So let us put our reading today in its proper context. It was a letter written by Paul to the early church in Corinth somewhere around the year 55 in an attempt to lead them back onto the right path, a path they were struggling to find yet alone follow. For this was a church with problems. A church that had taken the wrong path, with its leaders vying with each other for power. One of them was even having an affair with his stepmother, which some members thought was acceptable, possibly because they were using prostitutes themselves. On the other hand, other members were promoting total celibacy of believers, even amongst those who were married probably as a direct reaction against the sexual sin that they saw around them. Members were also taking each other to court, and some even doubted that Christ had been bodily resurrected. And as we heard earlier, there were also debates about the role of men and women in the church, as well as the use of the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy and speaking in tongues. If we think the church today has problems, the church in Corinth could give us a run for our money, even without trying. But before we get too smug about our own situation, it has been said that if Paul were writing to an average congregation today, his advice would have to work the other side of the street. Rather than unstructured spontaneity that creates bedlam, he would be confronted with a well-regulated order of worship that in truth often creates boredom. An example being that when the church prints their members a programme of everything that's going to happen during the Sunday service, in the sequence which it will take place, once it's been printed, it can become a sacred thing to those who planned it. And therefore the likelihood of the Spirit leading anyone to say or do anything that was not anticipated before printing 
is very remote. It's not a great picture of us either, is it? Anyway, back to the passage. And as I said, context is everything. And as such, let us remember that the church in Corinth was a new church. A new church, yes, that had lost its way. So in this letter, the Apostle Paul was addressing specific church problems. And in our reading today, he specially focuses on their worship practices and the need for order and edification in their gatherings. In this letter, Paul also reminds them that the teaching he imparts are not unique to them, but are consistent with the teachings in all churches. This underscores the universality of the gospel message and the need for unity amongst believers, reminding them that the chaotic behaviour he's heard about within their church is not acceptable, but rather everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way, and therefore they must change their conduct. They must change their conduct. Not all other churches, but this was a special letter addressed to the church in Corinth and the issues that they were facing. Here, Paul was trying to bring unity, harmony and fellowship out of discord and opposition, but to do so in one congregation. Yes, context is important when reading scripture, but there's something else. And that's the fact that we must recognise the Bible is more than a rule book. It's a living, dynamic collection of writings inspired by God to guide us, challenge us, and draw us into a deeper relationship with him. We must remember that while it contains principles and guidelines, it's not meant to be a set of regulations that we must stick to no matter what. Because if that was the case, we would be leading very different lives now. Lives where slavery was still acceptable, where second marriages were still frowned upon, and where the wearing of clothing with mixed fibres was a definite no-no. But we aren't, because our views have changed. Not the depth of our faith, but our understanding of how scripture should be lived out in action today. Simply put, the Bible, instead of being a rule book that is set in stone, is supposed to be a book that changes each of us individually, drawing us closer to God, opening us to his love and asking us to share that love with others. And in doing so, it's a book that changes not only us as individuals or the church, but the world as well. But how can we allow the words, the meaning of the Bible to change, you may well ask. Well, you see, reading the Bible involves a call to wisdom. And when we read verses 36 to 40 today, we see Paul's emphasis on wisdom. He encourages the Corinthians to be discerning and open to learning. He points to the Bible's role in shaping our character and decision-making through the lens of wisdom. And Paul was no stranger to having to be open to change, 
open to the scripture's guidance. After all, he went from being a Jewish man who persecuted Christians to being one who is now clearly a leader of the church. He had been involved in discussions about believer circumcision and food laws, amongst other issues. And he'd allowed his own beliefs, his faith, the rules he followed to be influenced and transformed by the Spirit. Paul understood the need for wisdom's understanding and teaching within the faith. And it's this wisdom that allows us to take the words we heard today and place them alongside those in Acts 2, for example, which says, In the last day, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in these days and they will prophesy. And understand that if that is truly the case, that the Spirit will be poured out on all people, allowing them to prophesy, both men and women, yes, men and women, then Paul can't have meant that all women everywhere were to be silent. But rather, this was a special issue in the Corinth church that had to be addressed. Therefore, this was not a biblical rule to be applied universally, but one that actually focused on women in the church to which he was writing. Why, we don't know exactly, but he must have had his reasons. Reasons that have been guessed at and debated over the years. Reading and wrestling with Paul's words also highlights the importance of engaging in healthy dialogue within the faith community. Our interpretations and applications of scripture can benefit from discussions that consider various perspectives and insights. We're not called to faith in a bubble, but rather we are called to be a family, a church, a place that can openly and safely consider and debate the words of scripture. And in doing so, we can grow in our understanding of what it means to follow Christ. Interestingly, this letter of Paul's, a letter sent as a reply to our request for help, also highlights the needs to reach out for guidance when things go wrong, when we are unsure of what we should be doing as a church or as individual Christians as well as our responsibility to be a guide and help others in need. It encourages us to remember that we are not alone, that we are in fact part of a much bigger entity, one that is there for us, with us, and because of us, and our love and relationship with God. And to truly honour God's teaching, we need to apply wisdom in our lives and relationships. We can do that by seeking God's guidance rather than searching for strict rules or worse, closing our ears to God's headship and instead seeing only what we want to see. We can do it by allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate truths that are relevant and needed in our lives today. For example, instead of focusing on just one verse from this passage, a verse that we may never agree on, 
we could allow the Spirit to open our eyes to the most important concern that Paul is highlighting here, that of unity. And just as Paul stressed the importance of harmony among the Corinthians, maybe the Spirit is showing us that we should prioritise love and unity with our own communities, reminding us that love for one another should be foundational to our faith. Or maybe the Spirit, through the use of this passage, is directing us to look at our gifts and talents and how we are using them, or not, for the growth and fulfilment of the church and subsequently God's kingdom. Finally, we must accept that reading the Bible, truly grappling with its stories, poems, history, laments, parables, prophecies, involves the need for flexibility alongside humility. We must embrace a posture of humbleness and recognise that our understanding of the Bible may evolve over time and therefore we must be open to growth and change as God continues to teach us. We must journey through the scriptures with hearts that are open to God's wisdom and counsel, understanding that the Bible is not a rigid rule book, but a dynamic guide for living out our faith. And in doing so, may we seek wisdom, engage in dialogue and cultivate love and unity within our faith communities and elsewhere. And thus, May our lives reflect the transformative power of God's word for all to see. Prayers for others and ourselves. Loving God, you delight in creation. We are thankful for the life you have given us, for the people who welcome us and invite us to live alongside them. Many of your people down through the millennia have extended hospitality and generosity in your name, and have sought to serve you by serving the people before them. Our generation are facing a time when some people are encouraging us to fear our neighbour, to exile the stranger and dismiss the widow. We are facing a crisis of natural resources, a growing demand for utilities and technologies that we cannot sustain. We're being encouraged to ignore climate change and the chaos it will bring to future generations. God, Help us to open our eyes and ears to the people who are trying to stop humanity from plunging into chaos. Help us to listen to the younger generation who are so much more aware of what is going on than many of their elders. God, help us return to your values of welcome and hospitality. May we seek to use our skills and resources, our buildings and people to offer a warm welcome, to feed the hungry, to assist the homeless, to visit those bound in their home or other prison, to educate ourselves and others to what needs to change for our world to heal and prosper. May we learn to work together to bring about real change here and now. So be it. Amen. We are so lucky to have been blessed in so many ways by God. All he asks is that we do not keep all our gifts to ourselves, but instead return some to him for the work of his kingdom. So let us do that now. Let us pray. 
generous God, accept these gifts freely given in praise of you. Use these gifts and use us to transform your world into a place of safety and shalom. In Jesus' name we pray. And we do so using the words that he taught us as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. There is hope in the mighty name of Jesus. There is hope. There is hope. Thank you for joining us here today for worship. Just a quick reminder that as well as a Sunday service, we also meet for prayers on a Wednesday night at 10pm. And all are welcome to join us online then. But for now, as you go from here, may God's grace heal wounds, Christ's love bring comfort, and the Spirit's presence bring peace. Go in peace, knowing you are a beloved child of God, who will never forget nor forsake us.
And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal love of God, and the companionship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us now, this day and always. Amen. Amen.